0: Thanks for listening to The Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe.
1: Hey you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 406 now of The Ron and Don Show, and you're listening to The Ron and Don Show, live from the Les Schwab Studio. What's up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on The Ron and Don Show, we're going to talk about your biological age. Is it different than your real age? Yeah. Some people are saying yes, and it may have a lot to do with the quality of your life as we head into the future also ron has this question there's done some research on this where have all the carpenters gone and i don't mean karen carpenter right anyway before we get to that though let's get to this this is kind of interesting you guys it seems like there's a lot of people around the country especially as we get on the other side of covid that are re-evaluating their drinking they say for a lot of americans that drink right now maybe they drink somewhere, and they say that's over 61% of us, maybe we drink somewhere between three and four drinks a week. They say if you're drinking over 10 drinks a week, you probably have a problem. Does that mean you have a drinking problem? Does it mean you're an alcoholic? Does that mean you should go to AA? And now with social media, they say there's a lot of influencers out there that have a lot of influence on what we are all thinking about drinking. And I don't mean influencers that are, well, like a lot of movie stars that are out there like The Rock right now that is pushing tequila. Does The Rock look like he really sits around and drinks tequila? I don't know. But what about the guys from Breaking Bad? They travel all over the country. They go into bars. They have a tequila and a whiskey that they're selling too. I think those guys really do. When you see them in bars, I see some pictures of them. Especially Brian Crankson. I, I think he is drinking tequila with everyone. I, I do. Nonetheless, Ron, did AA 12 Steps, did we get it wrong when it comes to drinking in America? Because a lot of us through the pandemic, we were fueled by this. I talked to my friends up at Ken's Market, and they said, still to this day, they are selling still as much alcohol in a day as they used to sell in a week pre-pandemic. And they said, it's just not wine. It's just not beer. It's the hard stuff, too. What say you about drinking in America?
0: Wow, well, I mean, that's a big topic. I think that um, I would never have a bad word against AA. And what was the founder's name was Bill, is that correct?
1: There were two of them, yeah. One was Bill, Dr. Uh, Bill. Yeah,
0: uh, And so I think that that organization and the philosophy they came up with and the infrastructure that they built, mostly by, with volunteer hours uh, across the world and across America, is nothing short of miraculous and saved maybe millions of lives. And it's by free. Now. And yeah. it's free. And it's free. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I would never say a bad word against that. How, does that model connect with uh, everyone? I, I don't think it does. And you've even talked about in the past that that model doesn't necessarily connect with you. I've had some uh, experience, not for my myself, but uh, I've ha- I've gone to a couple of meetings to support someone that was uh, close to me. And that model was not really, didn't really resonate with me either. And so I, I get it though. And for the people that it works for, I think it's nothing short of miraculous. Now uh, the evolution of this in America um, it's funny because I was talking. You and I uh, happened to share the same counselor because I, when I was going to her, I thought that you would connect with her, and you did. So um, we we share the same counselor. But we've we've talked a couple times through this pandemic, and she's just told me she's like, "Take it easy. This has not been a cakewalk for people." Because I've said, "Oh man, I gained some weight," and like uh, there was a stretch where I was probably having close to ten drinks a week. And she's like, "You know, relax." She's like, this has been a legit tough time for people. There has been a lot of loneliness, a lot of mental health issues. Some people reach for food and alcohol and other things to try to self-soothe. And so she said, but if that turns into a trend and into a problem, then, yeah, you can address it. So I think it's not surprising to me to hear those stats or to hear that drinking went up during the pandemic. Um, And I don't think it's surprising either that there will be other avenues for people that maybe. You will try to do things with sobriety but through social media or through a different thing. To me, whatever gets you there is the method that should get you there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I look at it this way. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I'd gone through a breakup. And the person I went through a breakup, uh, her and I drank a lot together. A lot. We drank a lot. And she had gone to her counselor and came back to me. And, and I started going through counseling. And she had talked to me about my drinking and, and basically threw it all in my lap and said, hey, you know what? And she didn't, and I have to say, the woman I was dating did not call me an alcoholic, but, but she painted a picture for me. And the picture that she painted was correct. I had become uh, dependent on using alcohol to numb and to not face things and work through things. And there were things in my adult life, including this relationship, that I was not good at. I just was not. I was not good as an adult having adult relationships uh, with women. And so this that that set me on a road of self discovery, of saying, you know what? Well, first thing I'm going to do is go find out if I am an alcoholic. So I went to seven AA meetings, and I have to tell you this. And for all my AA friends out there that go to meetings, I have great love and respect for you. And keep going to those meetings. I met with one of my friends last week. He has gone to a meeting for seven years every day. And he needs to go to those meetings. Those meetings are very, very important to him. At the same time, what this, this is what started my trail running. Is I would get out of these meetings and just go, oh, because I mean, some of these meetings, you guys, are pretty hardcore. And the stories that are shared. And alcohol for me, I could see could become a very slippery, slippery slope. And I'm like, okay, I'm not where some of these people are now, but I'm not, but but I'm not going to be far from it if I don't address this issue in my life. And I remember I was over on South Lake union. There was a meeting at 7am in the morning. Uh, and it was one of the worst days in Seattle ever. And it was still dark out and it was raining. It was horrible. And we sat through this meeting and a woman, uh, And I'll just share this, and and I won't say her name, and I won't say where the meeting was. You could tell that she has told this story, though, a number of times, because they go around. There's over 100 people at this meeting. Some of the people at the meeting, the court makes them come, and you could see the people that aren't into it, where the court made them show up. But these other just gentle, lovely, beautiful souls. But you could tell that hard partying and drinking, especially when you look at their skin, had taken the best of them. Anyway, she was an older woman. She was sitting there crocheting. And then she told her story about, and this was decades ago, about being in an apartment, about sitting next to her boyfriend, about drinking and drugging for weeks, about watching him commit suicide in front of her, And she sat there on the couch next to his dead body and she kept drinking. Just kept drinking. The drinking was more important than dealing with the fact that her dead boyfriend had just put a gun to his head and taken his life. And there was brain matter and blood all over the place. Then she got in her car went to the store, bought more alcohol, came back, sat down next to him, and kept drugging and drinking. And then she, she started to have dreams that she had hit a pedestrian, and she went out because she started visualizing that there was human uh, flesh on the bumpers of her cars. And that's what got the police involved. And then the story just kept going. I got out of that meeting. I went to Discovery Park, and I hadn't run more than a mile in years And I think that day I clocked 13 miles in the rain, the wind. I just went out there and I started running. I haven't stopped since then, you guys. I've I've been running at discovery park since that time. And there was a freedom I felt when I went for that run and a clarity. And, and I am so thankful that I went to that meeting. I am so thankful for her story, but I didn't want to go back and hear any, any more of those stories. It's like, I got it. I've been to seven of these meetings. I've heard these stories And and I got it. I got the message. And so that's when I really began to lean in and and address alcohol in my life. So with my counselor, she's like, are you an alcoholic? No. She goes, I don't think you are. She said, but have you abused alcohol to numb the things that have hurt you in your life? There's no doubt about that. And so and so for me, like I just went to Maui. I was there by myself. Uh, Every time I went out to sit down and sit at a bar, uh, I just drink water. And I eat food, and I get up early, and I work out a lot, and I went diving, and I had a great time, and I have learned to live a great life without alcohol. I, we had a birthday party for myself and my son here, and all my friends came over, and Ron was here. I don't, I don't serve alcohol. If my friends want to bring alcohol; they can anytime they want to, and they do sometimes. Some of the women I date like to drink alcohol, which, which is great. They should. This is my journey, not theirs, and 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 so. I think there's a lot of us out there who, who may not be alcoholics, but at the same time, we see when we subtract alcohol from our lives, it gets better. And I'll just share this with you. The same counselor said to me, I went in there one day and I, just, I told her, I said, Dr. Wright, I, I am never drinking again.
0: <laughs> of course you'd say <laughs>
1: it's, that. Because I'm all or nothing, the light switch, right? And, and what I've learned through therapy is to be a dimmer switch. She said, wow, well, let's explore that. Why are you never drinking again? And then that, and I've shared a little bit of this before. She said, you know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we try six months? And at the end of six months, let's ask ourselves, did your life get better? Did it get worse? Or does it count the same? And, and this is when I started all this writing. And in the time that I would normally drink or go to a bar or hang out and see a Seahawks game, I would spend that time writing, working out, trail running, being a dad. De- so what happened is all these spaces where I would drink these spaces opened up in my life. People that stop drinking that are miserable is because they continue the same behavior. They hang out with the same friends. They go to the same place, the same bar. They're doing all the same stuff, but they're trying to do it without alcohol. I didn't do that. I got rid of my man cave. I got rid of my season tickets for the Seahawks. I didn't tailgate uh, at Husky games. I didn't do any. I completely changed my behavior and what I was doing, and I went, and I got the life that I want. I have become the dad that I want. I'm not perfect, but I'm present. I am not perfect, but I'm present. And I have become the father. I've become the friend. I've become the business owner. Uh, i become the broadcaster, I, the, the person that I want to be. And the cool thing about drinking that took up all this space in my life and all this space in my body, and, and, and especially as you get older and you wake up with a hangover, holy schmoly, your body just can't process that much alcohol anymore. So I have to say, that my life has gotten better. Does that mean I'll never have a drink again? Does that mean if I went to a wedding, I wouldn't have a glass of champagne with somebody? I don't think I would because I don't celebrate with alcohol anymore. But my life got better. And as a result of that, I continue on this journey.
0: Can I ask you one question? What? Are you sure you're a dimmer switch? A what? Are you sure you're a dimmer switch now? <laughs> Attorney Ann Fitzpatrick needed to move to Tacoma for family reasons and turned to Ron and Don for help. The market was tight, but Ann spotted what could be the perfect house. It was Thanksgiving Day, though, so she emailed the guys and told them, hey, don't worry about it until tomorrow. And of course, they ignored what I said about don't work on Thanksgiving. And we immediately got in with an inspector the very next morning, uh, you know, immediately started strategizing. Ron and Don told Anne there'd be plenty of competition and a fierce bidding war. So instead of waiting, they came up with a strategy to put on the full court press and make an early offer to convince the seller to go with Ann. We actually managed to scoop up this house before anybody else had a chance. So if you're looking to buy in such a tight market anywhere around the Sound, you need a team on your side with deep expertise, creativity, and tireless dedication to their clients 24-7, even on the holidays. And it all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down at RonandonSitdown.com. Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. <laughs> hey,
1: you guys. Welcome back to episode 406. Don't forget if you need Mitch, mitch.loans. And if you need us, Sitdown.com. Let's sit down together and talk about buying, selling, or maybe your 1031 exchange journey. We are here for you. And don't forget we have buyers or sellers playbooks that we can send to you. Just go to Don a uh, sit down.com speaking of real estate and 1031 exchanges a lot of times before you exchange you got to do some work on your house all houses need work right some of them have deferred maintenance some just need to be freshened up but a lot of times you got to pick up the phone and that's what i spent a lot of time doing and so does ron contacting contractors that can come out and go to work on places like Woodby island or up in everett or down in ordain or pierce county or here on queen anne mountain or over in finn hill or just sold a house yeah It's very, very important to have that connection with your contractors. That's why all my friends, they call me all the time. And you can do it too. If you ever need anything, hey, I need a carpenter. That's the big question right there. I need a carpenter. And I used to hand out my carpenter's phone number like candy, and I don't do that anymore because... (laughs) Every time I call my carpenter, I'm like, what are you doing? Are you going to do this job for me? He's like, well, and then I find out it's one of my friends or someone from my family that has reached out to my carpenter, and they're working on their projects and not on mine. So anyway, you have to be very careful. If you're in the Airbnb business about giving the phone number out of your cleaner, be careful about that. Make sure you overpay and take good care of your cleaner. I do that with all my Airbnbs, and the same with your carpenter. Ron, this is kind of interesting. You had sent me a story while I was over in Maui. Uh, about really, just not a lack of people in the trades today, but really a lack of carpenters, right? Yeah, there's
0: two stories, and I found this really fascinating. I want to tie them together? The first one is where have all the carpenters gone? And it's a very long story, but and, and we could get into into the details. But the things that jump out to me is number one, for whatever, for a lot of different reasons, carpentry has among the trades. Been demoted to one of the lowest trades so in other words if you are a journeyman electrician if you are a journeyman uh plumber and maybe you're in a local union you're kind of at the top of the food chain uh, amongst that peer group and and you can make a lot of money if you know like a full-time plumber in Seattle or a full-time electrician they can ma- easily make six figures a year yeah they make,
1: uh, well, a plumber right, a plumber right now in Seattle 120 an hour for a plumber
0: right so and then you go down this this thing and there's masons and all sort of tile setters and all this stuff and so carpentry is sort of at the bottom and one of the reasons is there is a stigma uh against a lot of carpenters where it's like because i think this is maybe 25 years ago guys sort of struggled through high school didn't feel like it was college material sort of was out there, you know, maybe being a little wild, wanted to just to have a good car and go grab some beers, and, and was like, ah, and then a buddy of his like, hey, this is a pretty good wage. Come be a laborer on this job site. They worked their way up, and they sort of become a carpenter, but they don't have a college degree, don't have a lot of education, and they get in this career path, and they sort of top out at this carpentry level, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that don't show up, and a lot of turnover in among crews, and so when you find that carpenter that's reliable, and calls you back and shows up on time, you'll pay a premium for that. That's one thing. But the one that jumped out to me that I thought was more impressive, and, and a side note on that, the other article that I thought was great, is they're starting a trend. You know how when high school kids are going to sign a letter of intent with like the University of Washington, and they have the, the step-repeat banner behind them, they're like, hey, I was an all-star football player, or I played volleyball, and I'm going to the University of Washington. <clears throat> and they put the hat on and the whole deal. There are some high schools right now that are starting a program with that for trades. You put your helmet on. Yeah,
1: it's cool. Hold on one sec.
0: <coughs> so they're getting the step repeat banner. They'll have the head union guy for the electricians office standing next to you, and you sign a letter of intent that you're going to go in the trades. And kids get that photo op, and they can put it on their on their social medias. I think it's really cool. Yeah,
1: and they have cheer, they have cheerle- <coughs> cheerleaders come out. You okay?
0: Cheerleaders come out. Yeah, I just have home. a frog in my throat.
1: Cheerleaders come out in the in in the whole thing because they want to celebrate the fact that that uh,
0: you've you have a career path.
1: Yeah, we need we we need people in the trades, and the great thing about being in the trades is you don't end up with a three hundred thousand dollar bill to a college, and then and then you want all the rest of us to bail you out because you went. And got a very not specific degree where you can't earn any money and you can't earn enough money to pay that 300 grand back. So,
0: the more interesting to me was this subset of the Where the Carpenter's Gone article that talks about a couple things hazing, minorities, and women. And so, they go through and they chart the story of a black man who happens to be a carpenter, or a carpenter who happens to be a black man. And his journey, and then a woman of color that, that wanted to had loved working with her hands, loved being, and wanted to be a carpenter. And so, in both cases, when they first came onto the job site, immediate hazing. Hmm. And for the black man, that included racial hazing. And so, if you know anything about hazing, uh, the one of the main things whether whether it was the military or cops or athletics or something like a, a job site, is that it's a way to know for a group if you are trustworthy if if i'm in a dangerous situation do you have my back and so it has evolved over the centuries and millennia to where if i need to gauge if you're in and so you're the the new guy you're the new gal you're the outsider we're the insiders this is dangerous like, I could be up on a ladder. Uh, I could be shooting a nail gun. There could, We could be dealing with fire or flames, or you've been on lots of job sites. There's, there's a lot of danger that happens And here. you've seen
1: this in fire departments. You still see this in some police departments. Uh, you certainly see this uh, all over the trades. You see this sometimes at the college level when kids start going to school together. Uh, you see this with loggers. Uh, you see this and, like and anything that's, that's high the military especially you've seen lots of hazing in the, in the military over the years so
0: and so they um when the hazing mixed with racial overtones most of those candidates that could have been great carpenters are out they're like okay like i i get i'm not one of the guys yet but enough with the. Uh, With the you know the racial overtones and the nooses
1: leaving a noose in my locker and all that bullshit and like the
0: the the friend that you and I both know that you call Big Country he talked about when he first got on a job so I don't know if you ever had this conversation with him he's a a
1: carpenter he's a carpenter that that,
0: carpenter extraordinaire
1: yeah that works for me and my partner one
0: of his very first jobs he told me the story uh, it was to get hired. Um, he applied for this job. It was a job he really wanted. And the, the lead guy on the crew said, show me your chisels right now. And so Dave had to go to his car. Uh, he had his tools with him, brought out his chisels and the guy, if the chisels were sharp, he was going to get the job. And if it was a dull looking, like you were hitting on the side of concrete with the chisel, he wasn't gonna get the job. And so it was that kind of hazing and Dave's chisels were sharp. He got the job and he's a great carpenter. Yeah. And good so then they, they talk to this woman, and she's like, hey, I'm a woman of color, uh, I'm Hispanic, and I have tons of relatives that work in the trades. Like, I've grown up around these trades, whether it's carpentry or landscaping or a drywall. She's like, all of my family has worked in the trades, and I'm really good at this. I'm good with my hands. She tries to get into the trades. And so now not only do you have the hazing, you have the racism and now you have sexism on top of that because she's a girl and she wants to be in the trades. And so they talk about this culture and, and and I can't, I'm sure there are great crews out there. uh, And this is just the article that I read. But if, 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 if you are a man or a woman around the trades and around construction and you don't stand up for a person of color, and you don't stand up for a woman that's getting hazed. In my opinion, you're part of the problem. If you go along with the hazing or you go along with someone being called a racial epithet and you don't jump in and go, hey, not, not on this crew. We don't, we, we don't do that on this crew. Uh, then, then in my mind, you are part of the problem. Yeah. And that's why we can't hide. That's why a lot of these people just got out. And yeah. they, there was interview after interview after interview that said, I love working with my hands. I wanted to be in the carpenter union. I wanted to be a, an electrician or a plumber. And I got hazed and ridiculed so badly with sexism, misogyny and uh, racism that I'm out. Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting that you bring up the story. I, I I don't know if I shared this with you. When I was building the house that we're sitting in, uh, I had a framing crew that was over here and, For those that don't know what a framing crew is, uh, we were putting a second story on a house and they just come and they don't do windows. They just frame where the windows are going to go and they put up the trusses and the roof line and everything. They didn't do any of the finish work. And these guys sometimes will come early in the morning, and they'll go until usually about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes they'll be here seven days a week. They just roll through the lumber. So this crew had been together for an awful long time, and there was an older gentleman that sometimes would be on this crew. And what I did every Friday is I would have a pizza party for all my crews, whoever was here at the time. And so there were about 12 guys here, not only from Framers, but some of the other guys from the trades, and I had ordered something like $400 worth of Peggy pizza because these guys rolled through a lot of pizza. So, And I remember at the time, we were, we were talking about some of this on the radio. And we were, we were talking about standing up, uh, especially through the Black Lives Matter movement, standing up on job sites for people that are black or people that are minorities, stand up for women. We're sitting there. He doesn't know who I am. Because he had just showed up to help. So he doesn't know that I own the house because I I, I come and I work with my crews. And I'm just sitting there uh, and hanging out with the guys and we're eating pizza. And he starts telling, it's not even an off-color joke. It is an N-word joke. And I went over and I love this crew and these guys that were there. And one of the guys on the crew is black. And most of the guys on the crew are Hispanic. This is an older white guy. And he started to tell this joke. I went over, I grabbed his pizza, I threw it on the floor, and I said, you get the out. Now. Out. Don't you ever come back here again. And he tried to explain away the joke to me, and I said, no. And then he's like, well, who the F are you? And I said, I'm the homeowner. I'm paying for all this. I bought your pizza today. Uh, get out. That had a profound impact on the rest of the crew sitting there. And they said that they had been putting up with this guy as he comes and goes and he's off for decades, that this had been going on and nobody had ever stood up to him. And he even came back the next day and apologized. And I said, you know what? On the basis of what you did in front of that crew, you're apologizing today to get your job back. They told me that you've done this for decades. It's just who you are. You're not going to change. I don't want you around. Get out. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys. Ron Don with Mitch Not Loans. This just happened yesterday. We closed on a house. This house was listed for around one, two, five. We had to go to 1-7-something-something something to beat a cash offer and to land this house. We had to go over 1-7. In the middle of this negotiation, our buyer lost their financing and it wasn't their fault. Mitch steps in, saves the day. We beat a cash offer, we land the house, right? Right.
0: We absolutely did, and that felt great for them. They had to switch financers mid-process, pro, mid and we jumped in and helped, and we closed quick. Um, you know, when you're going against a cash offer, a lot of people want to close in 15, 21 days, whatever it is. Uh, Ron and Don asked, how quick can we close? And we were end up able to close in time to beat a cash offer. Yeah, and that's the thing I like about you, Mitch, is if, if someone has a big bank loan uh, out of North Carolina, they're not answering their phone on a Saturday when we're putting this offer together. You picked up your phone. You got me that pre-approval. We got the deal done. Closed that yesterday. If you want Mitch to be on your team like he was on this deal, go to Mitch.loans right now. One half percent of your loan value can come back to you in various forms. Mitch will explain that to you. Loans. All right, you guys,
1: welcome back to the Ron and Don Show, episode uh, 406. Is there a difference between numerically how old you are and biologically how old you are? There's some new science out saying uh, maybe as we get older that we should pay attention to this, right? This is
0: one of those things that's, that's I think, common sense, but they're trying to really uh, define it as as a more tangible thing. We We've all met that person where you go, you're how old? Like, like I was at a barbecue back pre COVID and met two friends and the one friend said, Oh me and -and so-and-so went to first grade together. And I'm like, you guys are like 20 years apart in age. Like now, if you would have just asked me what their ages were, like, dramatically different so there we've all had those people in the same way vice versa sometimes you know the dick clark effect where you'd see him and it's like no way is he that old and so yeah i think intuitively we know that 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 your biological age and your physical uh, your age that you appear to be can be different but there's a couple new tech firms trying to figure out what that is and so they're going in and saying are there biological markers like how do we score this how do we assign you with an age because uh, it could inform your medical care, your insurance costs, like all this sort of stuff where it's like uh, if you (laughs) – my brother would say that person was road hard and put away wet. If you were road hard and put away wet and you're just haggard, it's like, okay, your chronological age could be 40, but you look like you're 65 or 70. You're going to have different parameters for like your medical needs – Health needs all that stuff. So there's these new firms that are coming out. They're like, we want to try and quantify this. We want to be able to use even stuff like off of your smartphone or if you wear like an iWatch or whatever, like resting heart rate and how many steps you get, like all of this data, can we take that, maybe do like a blood test and a couple other things and say definitively, not like, oh, this is what you look like, but definitively your body performs like, either older or younger than you are, and then you can take corrective steps.
1: Yeah, if you look at, like, what's interesting, I I was reading the Rolling Stone magazine on on our trip back from Maui, and coming up on episode 407, I'm going to tell you guys about running out of air uh, when I was diving. My friend Charles reached out, our friend, and said, you didn't run out of air. I went, hmm, 100 PSI? Yeah, I ran out of air. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up in 407, but uh, they were talking about Taylor Hawkins, for instance, who was the drummer for the Foo Fighters who passed away at the age of 50. And when you look at him from far away, he looks like he's 20 years old. But when you get up close to him, you can see as your brother said that maybe he was rode hard and put away wet. Cause, cause he has lived a lifestyle. He said, even going back to when he was in high school, he would just sit there in the garage and smoke cigarettes and drink and play the drums. That's what he did. Smoke cigarettes, drink, and play the drums. 2001, he has an overdose And he goes into, uh, they think, some kind of cardiac arrest. Then he goes into a coma for two weeks. He had joined the Foo Fighters in 1997. This is seven years after uh, Nirvana had disbanded and Kurt Cobain died. And Dave Grohl said in 2001, because of what happened to Taylor Hawkins, and he didn't want to have another band member die because of rock and roll, he really thought about disbanding the band then. But... Taylor said, hey, you know what? The only way I'm going to be able to play for a kick-ass band like this is to be sober anyway. So he said, I'm just going to be on this sober train the rest of the way. That's why I was so shocking to people when they found out uh, that he had not just traces, but lots of different types of drugs in his bloodstream when he passed away because a lot of guys in the band felt like uh, that he was living a sober life and a sober lifestyle. And they say when you look at him, even though he was 50, inside because of the way that he had been living his entire life you know maybe maybe he was 68 70 years old something like that as a result of that on the other hand the good news is for a lot of us even if you're later on in life and you have been riding hard and you were put away wet the, the human body is amazing, you guys. The human body is amazing. And if you stop smoking, or for a lot of us, if you've done some heavy drinking and you stop doing that, and it doesn't mean you have to go out and take a boxing class or become a spin addict. Even if you just start going for walks and you get, get blood moving through your system, it's amazing how, when you take time out for your body, it's amazing how it will heal itself. So I think, you know, maybe I'm 55 years old, But I like to think that biologically I'm somewhere in my 40s, but I know that could change if I decided to eat lots of fatty food and go back to heavy drinking and I've never smoked, but maybe I start doing that or dipping or whatever. Uh, I look at some of my friends from high school and it's a shock because sometimes I'll see them online and I don't even recognize them. Because they have lived that Taylor Hawkins lifestyle and biologically they look 75 years old to me. So, yes, I think, I
0: mean, there's some slippery slopes with this on like who has access to this information and if they do dial it in to definitive, and will it be, you know, how do you protect people of color? How do you protect people in, or across income classes? Uh, if in case like insurance industries or employers or whatever can get a hold of this information, but from a health perspective, I think it could be revolutionary. Yeah.
1: All right, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 406. We really appreciate it. Uh, Don't forget, if you want to get a hold of us, we write something every week called The Nation News. We send it to you one time. We don't sell your information to anyone. Be careful when you're in a store and they say, hey, have you signed up for this or that or what's your phone number? Don't give it to them because they're just gathering information and they're selling it to other people. And that's why everybody is calling you and your phone's ringing all the time and all the emails and all the BS. So hang on to that information. I want you to know that you can trust us with your information. We typically send out something once a week. That's it. Ron writes it. I write it. We call the nation news. You can find it right now at ronandonsitdown.com. If you're thinking about buying or selling, uh, especially if you're thinking about buying, you guys. A lot of buyers were pushed out of the market. Now's a good time to jump in. On
0: yeah, one. it is. I'm going on some tours right after we're done recording today. And so just go to our website, ronandonsitdown.com, and uh, reach that tab that says a schedule a sit-down, and let's do it. We'll all set up a Zoom call. It'll be virtual. Let's get it done. Yeah.
1: All right, you guys, don't forget, keep your head up, your shoulders back, and we'll see you next time for episode 407. Can you believe it? Yeah, and on 407, I'm going to tell you about scuba diving. 60 feet down, Pacific Ocean, running out of air. What do we do next? I'll tell you. Coming up, it's the Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
0: Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! Only. Only! Only. Only! Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.